Hey, welcome, everybody. Welcome to River Glen. So good to see you. So good to be with you. Whether you're here in Waukesha, maybe you're online watching from somewhere, or maybe you're in Pewaukee, great to have you with us. I don't know if you heard, last weekend, wow, we had a great weekend. We had a, a meal packing event. First time we've ever done one of these. And we had 650 people volunteer across both campuses and three shifts of uh, meal packing. Yeah. It was a great weekend. We packed up boxes of uh, meals, shipped them to Panama, where Pastor Jose Rodriguez is going to distribute those uh, meals. Uh, Panama got hit hard by uh, COVID. He's planting a new church in, in Panama City and going to distribute that food for us. I want to show you uh, the number of meals. Look at that, 100,008 meals packed. And uh, way to go. Great job. Thank you so much for your generosity and for your volunteering to make this gift to Panama possible. Well, today we continue this series called The New You. Uh, we're walking through three of the greatest chapters in the Bible, Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8. And today we come to a very popular verse. One of my favorite verses that I, I refer to, that I think of uh, over and over, uh, because it reminds me that no matter what happens in my life, God can use it for good. Today I want to talk about hope, because, because this verse can give us hope in every situation. You know, I wonder, speaking of hope, I wonder how you would fill in the blank here. I hope blank. What would that be for you? Maybe I hope that the sermon is short uh, tonight. Good luck on that one. Uh, I hope that the uh, Packers win tomorrow, or I hope I get the job. I hope to retire someday. I hope that I get accepted. I hope that uh, she says yes. We all have our, our hopes. Here's a definition of hope. Hope is the person or thing on which your expectations are based. Hope is the person or the thing on which your expectations are based for the, for the future. I read that the Air Force Survival Training Course, they teach something that they call the rule of three. They teach the Air Force cadets that you can go three weeks without food. You can go three days without water. You can go three minutes without air. You can go three hours without shelter in extreme conditions. But then they add, you can't go three seconds without hope. We all need hope. Hope that something good is going to happen in the future. And you might base your hope on a relationship in your life. You might base hope on your job, your career. You might base hope on your investments or your health. But we discover that we live in a broken world. And if you place your hope on something or someone, it will eventually let you down. And we've seen that happen in, in 2020, haven't we? I mean, it's been a tough year. So many uh, disappointments. I want to show you just a couple of memes about the year uh, 2020. This one's from the movie Back to the Future. Marty, whatever happens, don't ever go to 2020. We don't want to live, nobody wants to live, relive this year, right? Or how about this next one here where this lady says, one day 2020 will be the one word catchphrase for everything messed up. How's your day? A total 2020. Say no more. And so your car breaks down, that oh, was a 2020. You know, you don't get the promotion at work, that was a 2020. You get in a car accident, oh, that was a, that was a, a, a 2020. It's been a tough year. Many people have lost optimism and hope. And so how do we live with this tension of maintaining hope in what seems like a hopelessly broken world? Well, today I want you to think of hope as a ladder a ladder that you lean against a wall. All of us have a ladder. We lean a ladder of hope against something. And uh, you may not even remember doing it. For example, when you were born, 
You leaned your ladder of hope against your parents. I mean, you trusted them to take care of you. And then as you got older, you began to lean it somewhere else. Maybe you lean it on your own ability, your ability to get a scholarship, your ability to get a job, your ability to attract the right person. But you discover that what you lean your hope against is not as stable as you thought. You know, maybe your girlfriend, you thought she was uh, the one and she breaks up with you. Your spouse leaves you. Or your doctor gives you some really bad news even though you've exercised regularly and eat healthy and do all the right things. Maybe you had plans and hopes. I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to live in this neighborhood. I'm going to have this number of children. I'm going to get this job. But things don't turn out the way you expected. And you lose hope because you wonder, how could God bring something good out of that? Well, this leads us to a verse in Romans chapter 8 that is a great place, great place to lean your ladder of hope. In, in fact, this is such a great verse. It has such a great promise. It, it's hard to believe. I mean, it's hard to really believe it. But I think this is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. And so as I read this, I want you to think with me, do I believe this is true? Do I believe God when he makes this promise? Am I willing to live uh, my life and lean my ladder as if it is true? Here, here's the verse. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Notice, notice this phrase here, we know. Not we think or we wish, we know. In fact, this phrase, we know, it occurs 13 times in the book of Romans. It conveys certainty. It conveys confidence. We can count on it. He says, we know. And so here's my question. Do you know that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? It's a beautiful promise. No matter how bad or broken things might seem, God can redeem it. God can turn it into something beautiful. I love the way J.R.R. Tolkien puts it. He says it this way, because of Jesus, everything sad is coming untrue. Isn't that a great quote? That's hope. That's Romans 8.28. It's a beautiful promise, but it's hard to believe, isn't it? Because we look around at our world and it seems like everything's falling apart and it's hard to believe that promise. And so I asked a few people if they believe that it's true, that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I want to show you a picture of uh, my uh, brother-in-law, Bill, and, and sister-in-law, Gretchen, and their three children. And they're all smiling in this picture. It's their uh, daughter, Ellie's uh, graduation. But this family has gone through just some extraordinarily painful uh, circumstances. Uh, their daughter on the left here is named Hannah, and you notice that her hair is short. That's because she was diagnosed with lymphoma, and she went through some very intense chemo. She had to drop out of, out of college, and she had some moments where she was so sick that, uh, you know, they, they were afraid they might, they might lose her. But that's just part of, the, of their story. There's someone missing from this family picture, their son Carter. During, their, during the pregnancy, they discovered a genetic defect and they gave him a 10% chance of surviving uh, birth. Well, Carter not only survived birth, he lived for 11 years. 
uh, never walked, never talked, never ate, lived on a, a feeding tube, and they took care of Carter until he passed away in 2015. And so they've been through a lot. I mean, they could write a book. And so I asked Bill and Gretchen, do you believe the promise of Romans 8.28? Is it true that God works all things for good? And I want to read uh, Bill's reply. He says, I don't think being a Christian makes me immune to heartache or trials. So I never was mad at God with regards to Carter or Hannah. That doesn't mean it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. But the good? Carter was not supposed to live at all. I always saw things as God gave us 11 years with him rather than God took him away. And his life touched so many people. He allowed us to bless people and people to bless us. My kids are better people for having Carter as a brother. My wife and I have a stronger marriage. I met people I would have never met, and I hope my family and I were a positive influence for Christ through it all. With, with regard to Hannah's good, it brought Ellie and Hannah closer as sisters. It refocused Hannah and her faith. Hannah found a husband. She just got married. And again, so many people blessed us in ways that we never experienced. Bill says, we know. Not we think or not we wish. Not wouldn't it be great if that were true? No, he says, it, it, he says we know Romans 8.28 is true because of what we went through, and God proved himself faithful. Paul goes on, and he says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love them. Now, we don't normally repeat words out loud in our services, but I want to ask you to repeat these two words, all things, out loud with me. If you're watching online, you can type them in the chat. Let's say this together. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. All things. All things. Not some things. Not most things, not almost all things, but not quite. All things. Here's what all things includes. It includes divorces, breakups, miscarriages, failing at school, getting cut from the team, having conflict with somebody that you deeply care about, cancer, mental illness, being in a wheelchair, all things means all things. But notice Paul doesn't say that God causes all things. God doesn't necessarily cause bad things to happen, but God promises to bring good from them. In fact, there's nothing in your life right now that he can't work for your good. Now, some of us hear that, and here's what, here's what we think. We think, well, uh, you don't know my situation. I've been dealing with this thing for two years or three years, and to be honest, I just don't see any good coming from it. And I can understand, when you're in a situation, it's really hard to see the good. But I have two questions for you. Here's the first question. Do you love Jesus? Look, look at this verse again. It says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I mean, it's not a, a blanket statement that everything's going to work out in the end. It's not a blanket statement that, you know, everything that happens makes you stronger. That, that's not what it says. He says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of who? Those who love him. It's a specific promise for those who love Jesus. And so my question is, do you love Jesus? Do you follow him? Do you put him first? Do you love him? And I know, you know, we probably, many of us probably want to instantly say yes to that. But I want you to think about that question. And the second question is, how do you know God is not going to work it 
for your good. I mean, it might, not, it might not make sense right now in the fog of pain and tragedy. It's really difficult to see how God could work it for your good. But what about two years from now or three years from now? What if God wants to use it to develop your courage, your determination, your empathy for other people that you otherwise could not develop? In Romans chapter 5, Paul says it this way. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. That's a very countercultural scripture, isn't it? I mean, most people don't rejoice when they experience problems and trials, but notice he says, we know, there's that phrase again. We have confidence. We have uh, certainty. We all want endurance. We all want strength of, of character. But how do you get endurance if there's nothing for you to endure? How do you get strength of character if there's no adversity in your life? How do you get the hope of heaven if life on earth is, is perfect? You don't. You only get those qualities from the problems and the trials. Paul goes on to say, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What's your definition of good? I think one of the reasons we have a difficult time really believing this verse is because our definition of good differs from God's definition of good. Our definition of good revolves around the immediate, the temporary, but it doesn't say that God works out everything for your comfort or God works everything out for your pleasure or net worth, but it does say he works it out for your good. He uses it to make you more like Jesus. And then Paul concludes by saying those who've been called according to his purpose. Notice it says that God has called you. You didn't call God. He took the initiative. He called you and is drawing you to himself. And so if you're with us uh, this weekend and you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know why I'm here. It's because God has called you. He's drawing you. He loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And then he says, have been called according to his purpose. I listened to a message by a pastor named Kyle Eidelman. And he makes a distinction between a reason and a purpose. I never thought about this before. And I found it, I found it helpful. Sometimes you, you will hear people say that everything happens for a reason. You ever hear somebody say that? You know, something bad happens to somebody. And someone else says, everything happens for a reason. And I'm not necessarily against that phrase, but see if you would agree this is true. There's a difference between a reason and a purpose. A reason tries to make sense out of a specific event in your life. A purpose sees the big picture, sees the big picture. Romans 8.28 never says that everything happens for a reason, but it does say that God has a purpose. And that frees me. It frees me to not have to know the why. I don't have to know the why for every event that happens in my life. Pastor Craig Rochelle says, you don't have to understand the why to trust God with the what. But all of us want to know the why at times, right? I mean, sometimes something happens in our life. We go, why God? You know, why do I have to keep dealing with this? God, I prayed to you. I asked you to take this away from me. Uh, why is this still happening to me? We want to know why. But you know what's frustrating? Man, God doesn't often answer that question, does he? I mean, it'd be great if God pulled us aside and, and said, uh, you know, you're going to lose your, your job, but look at this next job you're going to get. Uh, we go, wow, that's wonderful. Or, you know, this person is going to break up with you, but look at the next person 
you're going to meet. And we go, wow, that's perfect. But God doesn't do that. Here's what God promises if we lean our ladder of hope on, on him. God never promises us understanding. He does promise to give us a peace that goes beyond understanding. And that's what some of us need today. You need a peace that goes beyond understanding. You need to be able to walk out of church today or or get done watching online. And you need to be able to say, you know what? My circumstances haven't changed. I'm still dealing with this. I'm still in pain. I still don't know why this is happening, but I strangely have peace. I have peace because I know, I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's my prayer for you today, that you would have that kind of peace. But I believe it starts with two declarations. And the first one is this, I believe God will get it right. What if all of us just made this declaration that God is gonna get it right? Many of us are looking for a change in our circumstances, but what we really need is a change in our perspective on our circumstances. Remind me, reminds me of this letter that a, a college student wrote to her parents. It was her sophomore year of college. And here's what she wrote to her parents. Dear mom and dad, I know this is going to really disappoint you. I met a guy, he's 15 years older than I am. We just eloped, I'm two months pregnant and I'm dropping out of school. I'll contact you at some point in the future. P.S., just kidding, but I did flunk one class and I need $200. Please keep this in perspective. Smart kid. She's probably going to be leading something someday, right? But it's not our circumstances that cause us to lose hope. It's our perspective on our circumstances. Years ago, a movie came out called The Hiding Place. It documents the life of a woman named Corrie Ten Boom and her family. They hid Jews from the Nazis during the Nazi invasion of the Netherlands until one day the Nazis discovered the secret room and they arrested Corey and her entire family. They took Corey's father, Casper Tenboom, who was 84 years old. They put him in prison, and he died 10 days later. They sent Corey to a concentration camp where they beat and tortured and mistreated her. And when she finally got out of the concentration camp, you would think that she'd go around the world telling people God didn't get it right. God doesn't, God doesn't work all things for the good of those who love him. Instead, Corey went around the country and around the world telling people about the love of Jesus and how God gave her peace. It goes beyond her understanding. When Corey would speak, she would often work on some cross-stitch, which may seem a little odd. You're, you know, listening to her, watching her speak, and you're wondering, you know, what's she working on? What's she doing up there? She worked on cross-stitch, and at the end of her message, she would take the cross-stitch, and she would hold it up to her audience, and she would show the backside, which has all these threads kind of jumbled together, and she would say, this is how we see our lives, and then she'd flip it around, and she would say, this is how God sees our life. And one day we'll have the privilege of seeing from God's perspective. Until then, we lean our ladder of hope on him and we live with peace. I heard about Corey Tenboom's story in a book written by Mark Batterson. Mark Batterson is a pastor who put his faith in Jesus as a child after he saw the movie The Hiding Place. And here's what he says about her. I feel bad for what Corey Tenboom had to endure but I'm the beneficiary of her unanswerable questions and unexplainable experiences. Look at this. Her suffering 
led to my salvation. All of us go through pain in life and not everything will make sense to us, but we can trust that God will get it right. You may have plans for your life, but God has a purpose and God always knows what's best. You know, I remember I had a plan, you know, for my life when I graduated from high school. I, I decided that I would go to a Christian college in Illinois for one year and learn more about my faith. And then I would transfer to UWM in Milwaukee. I had no plans to become a pastor. So I went to this Christian college and the first weekend I met a freshman girl named Marnie Norton who became Marnie Davis a few years later. And I made some friends. One of my friends, one of my new friends, had a passion for church planting. He talked about church planting all the time. I never thought about church planting. I didn't know anything about it. And he got me thinking about it and dreaming about someday planting a church in Wisconsin. See, I had a plan, but God had a purpose. And that's how God works in our lives. You have a plan, but God has a purpose. And God always knows best. You might have plans to make the team or to have certain friends or to get into a certain school or to get a certain job, but God has a purpose. And you need to trust that God knows best and declare that God will get it right. Here's a second declaration that each of us need to make. I believe that my, my future in heaven is greater than my present pain. Romans 8.28 is a very popular verse, but oftentimes people pull it out of context. They don't read the verses before it or after it, but there's a reason why Paul says that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And he starts getting at it in verse 18. Look at what he says. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Notice how God doesn't promise to take away your, your suffering immediately. He doesn't even promise to take it away in this lifetime, but he does promise that your present suffering is nothing compared to the glory in, in heaven. I think one of the reasons why we have a hard time believing it is because we have a, a warped view of heaven. If you, if you ask the average person what, about heaven, you know, what, if you ask them the question, what's heaven like? I mean, they're gonna probably talk about clouds, and, and harps and, and things like that. Uh, you know, nothing against harps, but you know, after like a thousand years in heaven, harp music might get a little, little boring for us. But I like how author Levi Lusco describes it in his book, Through the Eyes of a Lion. He says, heaven is like earth, only better, untainted by sin and disease, unspoiled by evil. He says, heaven is full of laughter and play and eating and drinking, working and exploring, all infused and energized by the presence of God and pulsating with holy wonder. That's heaven. Heaven is not harps and clouds. Heaven is joy and peace and fun and adventure and uh, hopefully a little football uh, sprinkled in as, as well. Which is why Paul is able to say to us that God works all things for the good of those who love him because of the hope of heaven. We're going to get new bodies in heaven. We're going to be free from the curse of sin. Look at what Paul writes in verse 20. This gives you some more context. He says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth 
right up to the present time. Notice how he compares our pain, um, our pain in this life to the pain of childbirth. Now, obviously, I don't have personal experience with this, uh, but I'm told that the two most painful things in life are childbirth and passing a kidney stone. I'm just telling you what I've heard, okay? Uh, uh, giving birth to a child and passing a, a kidney stone are both very painful, but they're different kinds of pain because it's possible after giving birth for a mother to say, I'd like to have another one. But nobody passes a kidney stone and says, you know, maybe God will bless us with another one. <laughs> nobody, nobody ever says that. They're both extremely painful, but the outcome is different. One leads to a stone, one leads to a baby. Paul says you can process suffering because you know on the other side of whatever suffering you experience is something that is so incredible. It is like childbirth. If you're a mom, remember that moment they put the little boy, the little girl, the baby, you know, in your arms. When you experience that moment as a mom or you witness that moment as a dad, you don't go, childbirth is painful. You go, this child is amazing. This child is incredible. But when you're in pain, it, it's hard to see that. When you're in pain, sometimes it's all you can think about. And maybe that's where some of us find ourselves today. You're in the midst of pain and struggle. It's, it's all you think about. But Paul says if you lean your ladder of hope on God, you don't have to just think about the pain and the struggle. You can think about the future. You can think about the future glory that is to come. Think about what God has waiting for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I got a little homework for you to do this week. I want you to think about the thing in your life right now where you just go, why God? Why am I dealing with this? What are you trying to teach me from this? Why is this happening to me? And I want you to talk to another person or I want you to just write down all of the ways that God might use that for good in your life. You don't really know why it's happening, but just write down all the ways that maybe God's going to teach me this. Maybe God's going to develop this in me. Maybe, maybe he's going to do something else with this, through this. Write, write those down and then believe by faith in Jesus that God will work all things, not some things, not most things, all things. God will work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this amazing promise, this, this beautiful promise that a person who trusts you, a person who loves you can live with peace knowing that no matter what happens, you're gonna work it out you're going to work it for my good. God, I want that peace for every one of us. As you call us to yourself and draw us to you, help us to know and trust that you have a purpose for our life. I pray that we would begin to experience your peace that goes beyond our understanding. And that peace would get us through any circumstances or trial in our life. God, we declare as a church that we know, not we wish or we think, we know that in all things you will work for the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. May we live by that promise this week. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.